This week, we're talking with Dan, Kim's dad again. I'm sure you remember him from the Battle of Los Angeles, a talk with Dan, one of our earlier episodes. And this is just a spontaneous recording that we were able to do one weekend with Dan talking about creepy things, ghosts, and just some of his perspectives and history. This recording is pretty organic, and we did our best to clean it up, but you're going to hear some voices in the background. You're going to hear a dog bark and some doors shut. It's just real life. I want to say also that this recording happened right before we left for our girls weekend at the coast, where unknown to us, we recorded an EVP or an electronic voice phenomenon of uh, that little girl. And we have posted that also a clip of it. Um, So if you haven't listened to the earlier recording of Dan, or our EVP, make sure you go back and take a listen. If you like what you're hearing, remember to go to wherever you listen to your podcast and rate us, review us and tell a friend that's the best way that we can, you know, get these stories out there and connect with other people. Remember to send us an email at unexplainedoregon at gmail.com. We also love new story ideas and we love hearing from you. So if you want a sticker, let us know and we'll we'll send one off to you. Whenever you want. Well, I'm trying to remember all this. I guess I was uh, I'm fast approaching 82 now, so I was, I think, probably about 11. Because I was in the sixth grade, I remember that. We had moved across town to this house. We only lived there a year. There was just a lot of weird things about this house. It was uh, kind of a house my, my parents had bought. Why, I don't know. It was kind of beyond their means at the time mm-hmm. and it was a real stretch it was a yeah. big house it had been uh formerly owned by a, a local bank president and uh, a huge yard that my dad had to after working five days a week he had to slave for another two, mm. <laughs> two days a week to in, take in, care of in it. this yard because yeah. you know we couldn't afford a gardener and most everybody in the neighborhood had gardeners but during the time that we lived in this house um my sister got really sick. I don't know how long it was. It was months and months. She was bedridden. Couldn't keep anything down and throw up everything she ate. And my mom and dad were constantly taking her to the doctor and one thing. And this, um, this particular time, I don't know if this was before she got ill or after or what, because uh, she also was taking piano lessons. And my mom didn't drive at, the, at that time, which was not uncommon for this time. This was like in 1951, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. They had to take the bus across town to go to um, my mother and my sister to take our piano lessons. So I was home alone, sitting in the living room, watching TV. This house was kind of weird. It had this living room that wasn't living room, dining room, and the kitchen was all in the front part of the house. But going off of the the dining room, there was this real long hallway. 
mm. T-shaped hallway, which uh, always kind of freaked me out. There was this big giant uh, walk-in closet in the center of this hallway that was almost like a room in itself. Mm. It was nice. It was all lined in cedar wood and everything. Mm -hmm. Real nice. But it, for some reason, it always freaked me out. So I'm sitting there just watching TV and drawing or something. And I hear this enormous booming thump coming down this hallway. It was like, it's like something out of a, uh, a movie or something where ba-wham, 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 mm -hmm. you know, coming real slow down this hallway. And I didn't even look around the corner to see what was going on. I'm up. <laughs> And I was kind of a chubby little kid, and I wasn't real fast on my feet, but I man, I got out of that that house like grease lightning. Threw open the front door and, and had this big porch on the front of the house. It was an old English Tudor style yeah. house. So we had this big front porch, and uh, on the front part of it, there was this brick uh, wall that came up. Oh, on me at that time, probably about the middle of my chest. I flew over that wall, and there was a significant kind of drop from that to the yard, and the yard kind of sloped down to the street. I flew over that wall and hit the grass and just rolled and then ran down to the end and sat on the curb. I left the door open, of course, and mm -hmm. the television on and everything, and I didn't know what it was or who it was. But uh, I wasn't going to stick around and find out. And I sat there for the longest time. And then uh, I eventually looked up. I saw my mom and my sister coming around the corner and everything. And we walked and we went back into the house. I never even told my mom about it. Never knew what it was. But I think the reason why I got so scared and flew out of the house like that was prior to that, one morning... It's when uh, my mom and dad had to take my sister to the doctor. My mom came in and said, well, we got to take sister to the doctor. You just, I was sleeping. I said, just stay in bed and we'll be home soon. So my bedroom, it had, it was kind of nice. It was, had its own little half bath and everything, which connected to the service porch, which went into the kitchen and, and the back door was there. And, so I locked both doors. I locked that door, and I went and locked my bedroom. So anyway, I'm laying in bed, half asleep, and I hear a doorknob on the bedroom door. I hear something in the hallway out there, and I knew nobody was home but me. And then I heard some, somebody jiggling the doorknob of the bed. And I just threw the covers over my head and just tried and tried to ignore it and everything. And eventually it went away. But that there was just something about that house and that mm. that closet for one thing just mm -hmm. freaked me out. The coat closet. It was a big giant uh, like storage closet. Okay. It, it had to be. Oh gosh, it had to be eight to ten feet deep and probably. Six mm -hmm. feet wide, mm -hmm. and that was just weird. We didn't have enough stuff to fill it up, yeah. no, but somebody had used it for a big storage room or something. 
like I said, during the whole time, uh, we lived there almost the whole time. My sister got sick, and it was a really stressful period. And well, they thought they thought she was going to die. It just sort of came out of the blue. Did I, you ever talk to your mom about I it? I did ever? eventually. Yeah. Years later, I yeah. sat and I talked to my mom. I said we were talking about that house, and I asked her if she had uh, ever noticed anything that there was just kind of a odd feeling that was hard to define. Uh, there and she said yeah uh, she said it's almost like we shouldn't have been there so how uh, long did you live there about, about a year oh it was i know it was in my sixth grade year it'd be interesting to see if the house is still there have you didn't you it was look? for a longest yeah. time and uh, I, I i i doubt that it is now that it's probably been torn down and hmm. that whole area has been revamped and, and where was it again it was in Englewood. Like every town, there's the really rich, richer side of the mm -hmm. of the of the town uh, and the normal uh, side. So it was kind of over in the old uh, upscale area. I, I never liked living there because we had uh, moved from a home that we'd lived in for like seven years, and I'd gone all the way through from kindergarten to fifth grade at this school, and then we're up and moved the other side of town. Mm -hmm. Didn't know anybody in, in school and everything. It was a pretty miserable year. Was it my imagination? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I always felt that you couldn't pay me enough money to step back into that house. Yeah. It was just strange, spooky. And so you know, when you heard the noise of the like, you know, footsteps, Yeah. You never saw anything. You no. just heard. And you no. knew that it, no one was home. Like, right. you are you were like, I know nobody's supposed to be here, and that is not an okay sound. Like, yeah. you went into Oh, it was flight. more than just yeah. footsteps. It was like a thundering boom. Kind of wow. Like, like somebody huge was just stomping slowly down this hallway. Oh, my God. And I know. Why can't that happen to us? <laughs> I don't God. want that to you happen. You know, you don't. No. Crazy. <laughs> So that's my ghost story. But my mother, I think, she, I swear to God, she was psychic in some ways. Mm -hmm. She told me about an experience that she had. We had this beloved cousin. It was my mom's uh, first cousin. His mother had passed away when he was very young. And his father was a farmer. And he had two other two other boys, there's three boys, so they were all young. So during the summer, he had to work, keep his farm going, and he couldn't take care of the kids and everything, so he farmed them out to relatives. So this one particular cousin, the older boy, Lauren, ended up with my grand or grandparents. And so he was like a younger brother mm -hmm. to my mom and, and my aunts. <laughs> makes me get emotional mm -hmm. when I think about it because to me he was like an uncle yeah you know and um, he was very patient I remember him he was very good with me and I was kind of a rambunctious kid and we played a lot he used to love to tickle me and stuff but he was kind of like a I really loved him mm -hmm. and everybody did well he was a, a Navy pilot he was in training so I remember him during the war years, in the, in the later part of the war. We lived in near 
San Francisco for a while across the bay in a little town called Cuarta Madeira. And he was in training there somewhere, probably in Alameda, I guess, or something. He'd come and visit us, and I vividly recall him. And then later, toward the end of the war, my dad was working in the shipyards, and then towards the end of the war, there wasn't as much need for uh, people, so we went back to Los Angeles, to Englewood, and we were living there, and, that, and he'd come to visit us there because he had been transferred back to Long Beach at that point. I found some references to him in a book that, that really blew me away. He was on uh, the Intrepid, which mm -hmm. is now a big air, air and space museum in New York Harbor, I guess, and uh, he, he shipped out there, and there was a big push to just prior to the Battle of Okinawa that the Navy was trying to knock out all the um, Japanese uh, airfields mm. and so forth because I knew there was gonna, it was going to be a big battle. He ended up, he married his high school sweetheart. Mm -hmm. They were together for just a few days, and then he shipped out, and a month later he was dead. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so he was always in our minds and so forth. And, but my mom told me this story. Uh, he, he loved her cherry pies. And in those days, you didn't just go to the store and buy a frozen pie. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big deal. You had to make it, make it from scratch mm -hmm. and everything. And so she, whenever he came to visit us, she always made him a cherry pie. So this was after we got the word that uh, he had been killed. I don't know how long afterward, but sometime afterward. And my mom was in the kitchen making this uh, pie dough, I guess, whatever. And uh, she ended up dropping the thing on the floor. <laughs> and she and she said, oh, shit. And yeah. And she, she swore that she heard him laugh right like he was standing right behind her. Wow. And so she expected to turn around and see him standing there. But it wasn't, of course. Yeah. But, uh, now this is going to sound corny, but um, when I went in the Army, my mom was all upset. You know? And I said, oh, don't worry. There's not going to be a war. There was later, but that wasn't at that time. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. It's only three years, you know, like... Yeah. How callous I was in, the, yeah. in those days. I'm going to be gone. And uh, she said, well, I had a discussion with Lauren. <laughs> and uh, he told me that if he'd watch over me and if I ever needed him, then all I had to do was call upon him. So I was in basic training at this time, and which is a miserable experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had to we were at the point where we had to qualify on the shooting range, and I had, was never a really great shot, but I was kind of struggling along, and I reached the point where there was myself and a couple other guys in the company that hadn't qualified yet. So they put us in a vehicle and drove us out to the range. Said, okay, go over there, sit down, relax for a while, have a cigarette, whatever. We're going to do it again and see if, see if you qualify. So... I'm kind of wandering around myself, and I remember that thing my mom said: "If you need, if you need help." <laughs> so I went off over in a corner somewhere, and I had a little conversation with Lauren. I said, "Lauren, I don't know if you're here, 
or whatever, but mom said, if I ever need your help, uh, you know, all I'd have to do to ask is ask. And I said, I won't bother you anymore. I really need to get through this because if I don't qualify, then they're going to recycle me and I have to go back, join another company and go through everything that I've gone through uh, again and uh, did qualify. <laughs> and I ended up uh, firing, uh, qualifying as there's sharpshooter, uh, there's expert sharpshooter, and then marksman. It's kind of like an A, B, and C. So I ended up qualifying B. So I always felt like I got some kind of help there. Maybe it was all psychological. Yeah. So do you think, was your mom, like, do you think she was actually able to, like, talk to your... I don't know. In Uh, some way? She had some form of communication. Yeah. Maybe it was all, you know, within Mm -hmm. her mind or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. She was strange. I mean, when we moved to Oregon... My mom still lived down in Southern California, and there'd be times she'd call and, uh, are you okay? And I'd say, yeah, okay. I had a bad cold for a while, but I'm okay. I knew it. Mm-hmm. I just knew there was something. When she passed away, she was in a coma. She'd had a stroke, and she was down in, in a hospital in Hammett, mm-hmm. Southern California. I couldn't get down there because I was waiting for my wife, who was up in Portland taking care of her sick friend mm. there, it was raining like cats and dogs. Or, or it was flooding all over between here and Portland. It was normally from Medford about, it was normally about a six or seven hour trip. It took well, almost 14 hours for them to get there. They had to be routed around oh, wow. all kinds of different areas. And our area there in town was, uh, didn't come up to our house, but down in the on the corner, uh, it was all flooded out and mm-hmm. everything. I couldn't go up and get her. I just couldn't face going down there without her being. Her other friend, mutual friend, uh, the three three amigos, uh, flew up from Sacramento and took over, taking mm-hmm. care of the one that was sick. And she came home, and we caught a flight and flew down. So we landed in the Ontario, there we were gonna gonna rent a car and drive down to Hammond. And I knew my mom was in this coma. They didn't expect her to, to come out. And she'd been hanging on for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So I just kinda I remember my, my wife had to go to the restroom, so I just found a spot in the lobby there and went off. And I just said, Mom, it's gonna be a while until we can get down there. And I know you're just waiting for me to get there Mm -hmm. and if you can I don't want you to suffer I just if you can go you're free to Mm -hmm. go and this was like at 8 30 I remember the time we eventually we got the car drove on down to Hammond we got there about 11 called the hospital and she had passed away at 8 wow (laughs) so I, I I do believe there is uh, mm-hmm. some form of some form of communication mm-hmm. with people that are close to each other. Mm-hmm. When my dad passed away, he had a very bad heart condition. They could easily cure it now, but this was in uh, 1960. 1965 is when he was diagnosed with this thing, and they mm-hmm. told him that he had two to five years 
he was going to die. My dad just, it kind of hit him kind of hard because he was like, at that time, I think about 51. And he was uh, a strong, strong man. And uh, he loved his job. He was good at it. And he worked for the same company, except for the war years when he worked at shipyards. He'd worked for the same company since he was about 17. He passed away in two years. But the day that he died, he could have quit working, but he went back to work. And I, I asked him, I said, Dad, why are you, why are you working? You, you can make almost as much money as you're making now on disability. Just stay home. And he says, when I die, I'm going to die on my feet at work because I don't want your mother to have to wake up some morning and find me dead. And that's how he died. But the day that he, he died, I, I was a computer room supervisor at Sears uh, Regional over in uh, East L.A. And we had, it was a big operation. And this particular day, for some reason, about 3 o'clock, uh, normally my shift ended about 4.20. But 420. About, about 3 o'clock, I, I just started getting, feeling weird. I, I couldn't function. I couldn't think. Mm -hmm. So I told my, my assistant supervisor, he says, man, just take over. I, I'm not worth a damn. I don't know, something's bothering me. I don't know what it is. I'm going to go out in the break, the break room and sit down for a while, which I did. And then I stayed out there until the shift was over and wrapped up and went home. And when I, <clears throat> when it was over, I got in the car and I was driving home. I, I just felt so uneasy, like everything is changing. This was like on a Friday and we were going to move the next day over clear across town. And I thought, I was worried about my parents, you know, and I'm not going to be able to see them as often because I'd go over a couple of times during the week, mm -hmm. check on things, see how my dad was doing. And my dad and I, we never really had to, he wasn't a talker, well, not like me. <laughs> and you never could get any personal information out of him. If you mm -hmm. asked him a question, it would be, uh, your answer would be yes, no, or so, but we could just be alone together in a room mm -hmm. and be perfectly comfortable. Yeah. And it was that way I worked with him. Same thing. You know, we were together all day, worked and perfectly comfortable, mm -hmm. not talking. I thought it was strange at times, <laughs> but that's the way he was. Mm -hmm. His whole family was like that. So anyway, I'm in the car driving home, and of course, it's stop and go traffic. It's a, and I'm thinking, oh God, everything's going to change. This is, you know, something just, it's almost like he was in the car mm. <laughs> with me. I had this feeling. It wasn't like I heard his voice or anything like that, but it was like something was telling me, it's all right, mm -hmm. it's all right, everything will be okay. But when, but when you get home, Things will be different. So prepare yourself. So when I got home, we got the call. I got a call from my mother. Mm -hmm. And I knew right away something was wrong. He had passed away at work. It was right around 3.30. And it was <laughs> the time I was sitting in the, in the car, stuck mm -hmm. on the harbor freeway. And that wow. is when it happened. So it was like he was You're communicating sad. with me. Yeah. Prepare yourself. Yeah. Cause, and, and that's kind of the way the person that he was. Mm -hmm. And he was always for somebody else, not for himself. But so that was my ghost story. I've always kind of felt that there is something. Maybe it's wishful thinking. It just doesn't make sense to me that people, uh, all that we are, personality-wise and all of our thoughts and 
who we are and whatever influences that we've had on other people, good or bad, just goes away. Like turning off a light switch. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. I'll find out someday. I guess we all will. You come back and <laughs> I'll come back know. and tell you. Better. You better come and see Oh, me. no, I don't know if I want to come back. And, uh, I always... Those are good. Such... Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing. You can, you can delete them <laughs> afterwards. Oh, I don't know.